Well, who among us does not want a God who fights for us? That last song we worshiped with is a celebration of a God that brings us out of Egypt. And that is exactly what the psalm we're looking at today, Psalm 114, is really all about. Psalm 114 is part of a series of ascent psalms, starting at 113, going even into the 20s. But specifically, Psalm 113 to 118 are the Hallel ascent psalms, those songs that were sung at Passover. So today we're going to walk through the Passover meal, and we're going to discover that this psalm is the very psalm sung by David, and later by Jesus and his disciples after the second cup of Passover. There's the cup which says God will bring, the cup that God says God will deliver, God will redeem, and God will take. So the song we're looking at, the psalm we're gonna be studying today would be sang together as a group right after they drank from the second cup. As we look at this psalm today, we're going to take a, a method I call recapitulation. So what is recapitulation? It's almost like telling the same story three times and each time giving a little more detail. We're gonna take three passes at this psalm. What did it mean to David, celebrating the original Exodus? What did it mean for Jesus and the disciples celebrating this song, singing this song right before Jesus' death? And then lastly, what does this psalm mean for you and I? What does it mean for us today? Again, this is a song. Think about songs that have gone through remixes. What's some examples? How about All Along the Watchtower by Bob Dylan, 1967? There's the original song. Then there's the remix. Jimi Hendrix comes in, makes it psychedelic, 1968. Then later on, often there's not just a remake, but a remix. Think of that idea as we look at this psalm today. The first pass will be the original song. Then the the remake will be our looking at Jesus and the disciples singing it. And then the remix will be you and I applying it to our lives today. Either way, though, for all three audiences, the application's the same. It says that we are to tremble at the presence of the Lord. To tremble at the presence of the Lord is to let God bend or twist you back in shape. In fact, the last verse of Psalm 114 says that. It says, tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord. And this is a Hebrew word, cool. It's cool to let God twist you back in shape. We get so bent out of shape by the world, by lies, even by ourselves, that God wants us to allow him to twist us back in shape. Tremble. Kaul, God's presence. It puts us back where we belong. And we're going to celebrate what's called the Seder service or the Passover service as we look at the meaning of this psalm and what it means for you and I today. So to do that, we're gonna take three passes and we'll begin by looking at the original song together. You see, I want you to have confidence in God in the future based on what you know sing about, reflect on God's done in the past. So what's that original song? The original song says, tremble at the power of a God who can overcome any obstacle, especially the obstacle of Egypt and the bondage of 400 years tracing back to Moses. Now let's enter into a Passover service together. 
a modern day one, very similar. People gather around, travel from all over the world to come to Jerusalem for Passover. As they gather together an incredible celebration of God's forgiveness and God's forgiveness. Now, you would bring a lamb, a perfect blemish-free lamb, something innocent, something you brought into your home for 14 days has to die in order that you can have God's consequences or judgment pass over you. You would take the lamb, you would sacrifice it, and then you would butcher it and you would roast it. You were to roast the lamb. And again, this is the idea that that the fire that would come upon you for the consequences of your and my wrongdoing, something else is taking those consequences. Then you would eat that as part of a Passover meal. You would take the blood from the lamb and you would place it on either the, the sides of your door, like here and here, or you'd place it across the top of your door in ancient times or modern times. So when the angel of death came over and gave us due consequences for what we deserve, if the angel of death saw the blood, something else took the penalty for us, his judgment would pass over us. This is where we get the idea of Passover. Now, the Passover meal or the Seder meal is a celebration of all aspects of the Exodus. And this psalm is gonna be a celebration of what God did in the past using some object lessons for the meal. Some matzah, some wine, some bitter herbs, some parsley, and a variety of other things. Now the four cups are representative of exactly what God said in the book of Exodus. He says, I am the Lord and I will bring, it's the first cup, I will bring you out from under the burdens of Egypt. Second cup, I will rescue you or I will deliver you, the deliverance cup, from their bondage. Three, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. It's the third cup, the cup of redemption. And with great judgments, the 10 plagues. And fourth cup, I will take you as my people and I will be your God. So that's what the different cups represent from the book of Exodus. Now, as we look at this together, in our first pass over this psalm, it's a celebration of everything God did going back to Moses after 400 years of bondage. And Psalms is pushing us, suggesting to us that we tremble at God's power who took on the Egyptians. That's the idea here. So it begins in verse one. When Israel went out of Egypt, remember we got out of Egypt. And the Hebrew word for went out is yatsah. Yatsah, to exit, to go forth, to be delivered. When we got exited or exoduses out of Egypt, oh, the house of Egypt, from a people of a strange language. Judah, Judah became God's sanctuary. We were the place God dwelt. How amazing is that? That we, God's people, became his, the God of the universe's sanctuary. And Israel, his dominion, the place that he showed his command and his power. Now, as we came to the Red Sea, oh my goodness, it looked tough. Do you remember the Red Sea? Egypt's chasing Israel. They let him go, but they're like, no, I take this back after 10 plagues. They're up against the Red Sea. 
There's no way out. There's no way of escape. They got water on one side, Egypt and the army on the other. There's no way God can make a way. And pow, God separates the Red Sea by the presence of the Lord. That's what they're alluding to here. Okay, so what to say? Israel, his dominion, the sea saw it, God's presence, God's dominion, God's power, and fled. The Jordan turned back. So after Joshua brings them into the promised land, 40 plus years later, the Jordan River also separates and opens before the Ark of the Covenant. So he's alluding to two historic events where God supernaturally delivered the waters for his people. The mountains skipped like rams and the little hills like lambs. So even here they're alluding in poetic language to the idea that God is so powerful that mountains quake and run around like little lambs, even hinting here at the lamb emphasis of the Passover as it relates to the Exodus. So God exodus us out of Egypt and that's what they're celebrating. Now, fast forward with me to Jesus. Jesus shows up on a mountain in Israel And Moses and Elijah show up to talk to him at what we know is the transfiguration of Jesus. He reveals to everyone that he is God in the flesh to his his three closest disciples, Peter, James, and John. So here's the question. What do they talk about? Like if you're about to go to the cross and you're about to die and you get to talk to Elijah for crying out loud and Moses for crying out loud, what are you guys gonna talk about? Wait till you see what they talk about. Here's what happens. Behold, two men talked with Jesus who were Moses and Elijah. And they appeared in glory. And Peter and James and John are like, wow, 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 wow. Jesus in his full glory. And two other guys. And they recognized them as Moses and Elijah. And they spoke of his decease. That he has to die. Okay, I guess that makes sense. He's about to go to the cross. He needs their encouragement. But the Greek word for decease is a very interesting Greek word. It's the word exodus. Moses and Elijah came to talk to Jesus about his exodus. Oh yeah, we had an exodus way back in the past where God delivered us from the Egyptians. And no doubt that was important. But Jesus, you are the real exodus. You have come. Moses, Moses, who led the first exodus like Jesus, I want to talk about your exodus because mine was nothing compared to what you're going to do. When you die on the cross and raise yourself from the grave, you're going to exit everyone out of the bondage of death and sin and consequences. You are the ultimate Passover lamb. Isn't that incredible? So here's how he finishes which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. What ails you, O sea, that you fled? O Jordan, that you turned back? O mountains, that you skip like rams? O little hills like lambs? Tremble, cool. Let God twist you back in shape, O world. O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turned the rock into a pool of water, the flint into a fountain of waters. And here's the idea. When you think about everything he did in the past with the Exodus, man, the whole earth should let God twist them back in shape. This song that was sung at Passover was a reminder to tremble at the presence 
of the Lord. So there's certain songs that bring on special meaning because of the circumstances involved in them, right? And so this scripture is really a song. It's like the song that you first danced with your spouse with, right? It's become your song. There's something meaningful about it. It's the song that maybe you dance with your daughter at her wedding. Maybe it's the song when uh, your team won a state championship. There's ways in which certain songs allow you to kind of tremble, be twisted back and be reminded of first love, to be reminded of what really matters. That's the idea here of Psalm 114. God, twist me back into the shape I need to be to remember what really matters and what's important here. Last year, my wife and I were watching America's Got Talent. There's a guy on there who'd been in prison 37 years unjustly. After 37 years, his name was Archie Williams. After 37 years, the DNA evidence came out and they freed him. And the world was shocked at the humility and the grace he had after losing a lifetime in prison. He got up on the stage of America's Got Talent and he sang Elton John's Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me. And I will never, ever hear that song the same again. Don't forget about those in bondage. Don't forget about those, in this case unjustly, who need an advocate, who need someone to advocate for them. So every time I hear that song by Elton John now, I kind of tremble. I kind of am reminded to be twisted back in shape to remember, as Jesus says, when you visit those in prison, you visited me. Oh, it really matters. I was at a wedding a couple years ago, a friend who's a special needs dad in our community. We had this incredible celebration. And we get done with the wedding, we get done with the celebration, and we're kind of having a private moment, he and I just chatting about the whole experience. And I said, this has just been so incredible to see the love of your, your, your daughter and, and her husband, the celebration, the dancing, the music. It's just been so awesome. And I was kind of getting tear-filled, just so humbly uh, thankful, I guess, to be part of the experience. He looked at me, he said, can I tell you something? I said, sure. He said, this is the best day of my life. And I knew of my friend's experiences. He'd had a lot of pretty amazing best days of his life. <laughs> As I thought about the things he experienced, the stories he had told me, the you know, world-changing type things he'd accomplished. And as we listened to this song, and we saw his daughter and, and son-in-law dance together, and I saw the smile on his face, I'll never forget that moment. I'll never forget that song. And all of a sudden, that song became something that twisted us both back into what really matters, the celebration. And he spoke of that day as a day he didn't know would ever come as they went through all the challenges of special needs growing up and, and hope things would go forward and hope they could accomplish things and, and hope there would be that stuff. But here was a moment that God brought about his purposes in an incredibly tangible way. So that's our first pass at Psalms 114, the original song. Now let's look at maybe the remake. What did this song mean to the disciples and to those who were living during Jesus' time as they sang it at the Passover meal, right? They wanted 
the earth to roar at the presence of Lord who would deliver them from the Romans. We were so hoping if the Messiah came, we were so hoping the ultimate exodus would be God roaring at those Roman guards who have been suppressing us and holding us back. So this remake of the song wasn't what God originally intended, but this is where the confusion came from. The expectation that this song was about deliverance from the Romans. So let's look at that Passover service again. Again, we're gonna sing this song after the second cup, the bring cup, the deliver cup. So you would first light the candle. After you lit the candle, the youngest among them would always say, why is this night different from other nights? Why do we eat unleavened bread and not bread with yeast? And why do we recline? They would recline at the table rather than not reclining at this night, we're ready to go because at any moment God might deliver us and we need to be ready to go with our staff in hand. The first cup is for 400 years we cried. We begged God to help us. We wondered if he heard our prayers, but God appeared to Moses and said, I have heard your cries and I have seen your tears. And with that, the next step would be to put salt in water and to remember what it's like to be in bondage for 400 years. We take a piece of parsley and we dip it into the salt water, a reminder of the tears of all of our relatives who sat in bondage for all those times, longing for and praying for God to deliver them. And what it must have meant after all those years of tears to say God has shown up and says he will bring, future tense, he will bring us out of bondage. Then, having celebrated the promise, God brought about the deliverance. But the deliverance came through 10 individual plagues. One, two, three. Each one coming against the different gods of Egypt. Five, six, seven, eight. And and the Pharaoh hardening his heart each time, nine. It was on the 10th plague the plague of the death of the firstborn, unless you had a Passover lamb, that God finally broke the back of the Egyptians and even their God, Pharaoh, who saw himself as God. And God, through these supernatural signs, delivered his people from Egypt. Then three matzah will be handed up. We as Christians know they symbolize God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The middle one is removed from the other two, strangely, and it is broken because the Son is broken for us. Then, that piece of the afikomen is wrapped in a napkin and it is hidden in the house. And it's hidden so the children during the Passover meal will go and try and find it because it's removed for a time. Now, after that second cup, from you drink from the cup, you would sing Psalms 114. Sing of the God who delivered us from Egypt and hopefully he'll deliver us from these other strange languages and oppressive forces we have today. And it's here you would eat from the Passover meal and celebrate that lamb together. So imagine Jesus and his disciples having just come this far in the ceremony and now they turn to each other and say, it's time for us to sing Psalm 114. And imagine what this song must have meant to them when they then sang, 
Oh, when Egypt, when Israel went out or got exited from Egypt, oh, the house of Jacob from a people of a strange language. We're living in a place with strange languages, the Greeks and the Romans. Oh, God, roar at Rome the way you roared at Egypt. Let everything skip and flee and then pull back just like it did with those 10 plagues you used against those gods. Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord. Then it goes on, it mentions a few more details. Now, I want to emphasize this now in, in the remake pass on the psalm. Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob. He didn't just exit us. He then provided for us. He turned the rock, there's a gigantic rock in the middle of the desert, and they needed water. And God broke it free. His presence literally caused an earthquake and water spewed up for it. And that rock turned into a pool of water. The flint turned into a fountain of waters and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. Now the piece I added here is from 1 Corinthians. Paul says what God did after the Exodus, Jesus was the Passover and the Exodus, But then God led them out into the wilderness. As they got into the wilderness, God provided from them from a rock the sustenance, the water they needed. And Paul picks up on this idea from Psalm 114 in 1 Corinthians 10 and says, that wasn't just any rock or any water they drank from. That water was Christ. It was the spiritual rock, the ultimate fulfillment of God providing. is isn't from Romans, it isn't from Egyptians. It's God leading us to himself and finally he delivers us from our sins. He delivers us from what's really broken inside each one of us. And they all drank from the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. See, God made them alive together with him. This is again Paul articulating what happened back then and what it means for us. He has made him alive together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses. Whatever happened at the Passover, whatever happened with Jesus' work, he disarmed all principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. What's he saying here? But Paul applies the rock, the exodus, and even the triumph on the cross and says that Jesus decided to take on not the subsidiary army, the Romans, but the power behind the Romans, right? If you're gonna defeat an enemy, why kind of go squirmish to skirmish to skirmish, taking on the small battles, when you could take out the general that's causing everything? So that's what Jesus did. Even when he took on the Egyptians, he was really taking on the Egyptian gods, spiritual forces of evil behind those gods. When Jesus came, he came not to defeat the Romans, the physical, actual army of the Romans. He came after the spiritual forces, the evil, demonic forces that were animating or educating or motivating all of those. So what's Paul saying? Paul's saying that when Jesus came, he came not to roar at the Romans, but to defeat it says in Colossians, to publicly put on a spectacle by triumphing over all of Satan's powers, all of demonic forces, all of hatred and evil. Because if Jesus could defeat the power behind the power and triumph over them, 
it would be so much more powerful than just defeating a physical army. Now this is true in history. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a Christian, leaned toward even pacifism, and as a Christian living in Nazi Germany, as Hitler began his ascent, he began to wrestle with the evil of Adolf Hitler. And he realized that many of the German soldiers had their lives threatened, their families threatened. They couldn't win this battle one skirmish at a time. The way to deliver all of Germany from this evil was to actually defeat Hitler himself. Because if Hitler was dead, all of those oaths those Germans had taken, all the fear they had of what he might do to them or their family would be gone. So Dietrich Bonhoeffer and many others engaged in trying to eliminate Adolf Hitler. Six times it failed until they tried uh, Operation Valkyrie. Maybe you saw the movie several years ago with Tom Cruise. They left out Dietrich Bonhoeffer, but he was one of the motivators of this. And the idea was, because Adolf Hitler was so scared to death that someone would betray him, he had a private army. And so what they did is they set off a bomb trying to kill off Hitler and use his own army against him to liberate Germany. But the principle here is that they went after the source of the evil rather than each person under the evil force's power. It's kind of the same idea of what happened with Jesus. He came on earth to defeat the source of the Romans, the source of fear, the source of oppression, rather than taking on the Romans the way people expected. So, the original song, the remake song. Now, how about the remix? What does this song mean for you and I as we reflect on trembling in the presence of God? The remix version, the, the application for you and I, clearly Paul says this isn't ultimately about delivering us from political powers of an oppressive nation. The main application that Paul applies that we should read this psalm as is that we can trust God in the future based on what he did in the past and what he did in the present. He literally delivered people from Egypt and he literally came to earth. But his kingdom has never been an earthly kingdom. The ultimate expression of what Psalms 114 is about is Christ's ability to defeat the source of evil in you and in me and in the world so that we can be delivered from those and be in God's presence. Now this idea is the driving force of what he's talking about. See, when Israel went out of Egypt, Remember I hinted at this at the first pass? The mountains you skipped like rams, oh little hills like lambs. During Passover, during Jesus' day, it is said that over 10,000 lambs could be killed daily. I mean, this was a seven-day festival. Two million plus people coming in to celebrate Passover. This was a lot of lambs. In fact, the historian says that those lambs weren't just killed, he uses the word crucified. Because when you were carrying the lamb after it died up to be roasted, you would put a stake through its back. So a stake would be coming out its head and out its tail. However, that would allow you to carry the weight of it where it was roasted. Then there would be another stick shoved through its shoulders here and here. And then you'd use that as a rotisserie 
as you were roasting your lamb for Passover. So even in the imagery of a dying lamb with the staffs of it being crucified was the verbiage used during his day. Really pushing into the idea that God's plan all along had been that his Messiah would be pierced for our transgressions, would die for your and my sin, roasted over the flames of evil and hatred to pay for the consequences for you and I so God's judgment could pass over us. So again, this lamb idea really is driving us to think about the real meaning of trusting God for the future. He's my provider. He went through that for me. He was crucified for me. That's what God's plan was for my life. So as I think about the roasting and I was eating the meal at Passover and I smelled the aroma, for those post-Jesus, we're reminded the aroma of forgiveness came from the horrible evil of the torture of God's Messiah on the cross. Now maybe you want to go deeper into this series. In fact, one of the things the tools we're making available is a tool we're calling the Pathway. If you get on our website at www.horizoncc.com, you can click on the message from this week, the equipping message on Psalms. You can click on the exploring message from the Fast Track series we're in. But then there's another little box or video box you can click on. That's called the pathway. So what's the pathway? Well, I think Drew's explained it well. It's like a bonus features. If you say, hey, I wanna wanna meditate on this a little bit more. Uh, Tell me more about that Exodus thing that that you mentioned about Moses. That'll be on the bonus features for this week um, that I'll be shooting later on uh, during the week. And this is a chance for you to think about a specific question and let it go a little deeper into your heart. It's a little video you can watch and a group of questions you can go through to kind of personalize the message. What does this mean for me, for God to be my spiritual rock? What does it mean that Jesus is my Passover? Have I ever accepted Christ into my life to be my Passover lamb? What does it look like for me to take my political aspirations and maybe transform them into spiritual aspirations and not be confused like Jesus' disciples were? These are the type of things that sometimes we need help being guided through just to let those messages go deeper. So the pathway is a video tool and a printout PDF that you can look at, pick it up on a Sunday morning or download it off the app or the website and maybe use it for your small group. Maybe it's a small group you wanna follow along with us in the Psalms and your chance to do that is actually to get together with your current group and say, hey, let's go through a pathway together. Show the video, the real short two or three minutes, go through the questions, And just follow along with us as a church as we dig into this incredible set of psalms, the Hallel Psalms or the Ascent Psalms, what I've called the Psalms of Easter. Now remember, the application of all of this is still the same. Remember toward the end, verse seven, what does it mean to tremble at the presence of the Lord? That's our main idea. What does it mean to tremble or to let God twist you spirally back in shape? As a kid, do you ever have a slinky? It's designed with a purpose. You ever had that slinky bent? And oh my goodness, it doesn't slink, it doesn't move, it's just twisted out of shape in a really bad way. Well, when you and I tremble in the presence of the Lord, we say, God, based on what you've done in the past, boy, it's gonna hurt to bend that metal back the way it goes. But God, I trust that you're good. 
Based on what you did in the past, you know better. You don't even live up to my expectations sometimes because I had different expectations, but what you do is even better than my expectations. God, cool me. I'm gonna tremble and let you bend in a spiral motion, bend me back in shape. Let God's redemption, let God's forgiveness, let let God's exodus of you bend you back in shape. So after that second cup, they would sing together, what we just studied. Then they would have the meal. And after the meal, the kids would find the afikoman. They would bring back that piece of the second piece of matzah that had been broken. It was this piece of matzah that Jesus said, take, eat, do this in remembrance of me. And they would take the the afikoman, the bread, and they would first dip it in bitter herbs. In this case, it's horseradish sauce, and I hate horseradish sauce. And they were commanded in Exodus to eat bitter herbs to remind them that the bitterness of sin, the bitterness of bondage. So let's partake together of the bitterness of bondage. Oh, and as you ate of it, it was to remember this is what a life outside of God's presence, outside of trusting in God is really like. Then you would take and dip it again in the bitter herbs, but now mix it with the apple coruscant. And it would say, look how God can bring goodness even out of evil. Think of Joseph's words in Genesis, which you intended for evil, God used for good. It's a reminder that even in the midst of bitterness and pain in our life, God brings good out of evil. And how much more true is that than the piece of matzah broken on our behalf? See, he was pierced for our transgressions. It's by his bruises that we are healed. And he was broken so that through the the bitterness of the cross, we could have the sweetness of the apple coruscant and trust that God loves us and knows us. And then, after Jesus said that, he took the third cup. Remember this cup from Exodus. There was the cup that said, I will bring, future tense, I will deliver, then he did. Then he said, I will redeem, I will buy you back, the covenant I will make with you. And Jesus said, this cup of redemption that we have had for so many years, we've known this as the cup of redemption, this is the new covenant of my blood. Do this, take of this in remembrance of me. The sweetness of forgiveness. The sweetness of remembering that God is good. The sweetness of remembering everything he did to deliver us. But Jesus never drank of the fourth cup. He says, no, no, this cup, this cup I will drink with you in paradise. When I take you fully and finally out of a world of evil, And fully and finally, we celebrate God's deliverance for you and for me. This cup is a cup in the future. So trust God today. Allow him to twist you back in shape. Even think of what we call communion. Do this in remembrance of me. When we ask God, or God asks us to remember him, It's because the lies of this world and the lies of evil do the opposite of remember. And the opposite of remember is not to forget. The opposite of remember is to dismember. 
Lies dismember us about what we believe about God. Lies dismember us, what we know about ourselves. Shame and guilt. But because of the redemption of Jesus Christ and his covenant, we can be remembered who we are in Christ. And it can repair the dismembering of lies. So we're going to take communion together. And if you're watching from home, maybe you want to grab a cup. Maybe you want to grab some bread. As we sing this worship service, this next song about the deliverance God has from us from Egypt, I'd like you to take the cup and take the bread. And we come back together. Let's partake and celebrate a God of redemption.